King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty... You are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. 
your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father in Heaven, we humble ourselves before you. We're dealing with big truths. I pray that you would By your spirit, teach us what is good and right. Give us soft and humble hearts. And I pray, God, that this would lead to praise and honour for you. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. So, when you think who the most powerful person in the world right now is, who do you think of? Trump. Forbes says Putin. Trump. Xi Jinping. Merkel. The Pope. Or Google. What about when you look at the global political landscape, where do you look for comfort? When you look at the global political landscape, where do you look for comfort? Or maybe when you consider your own life, and your own power, maybe successes or achievements that you've had, where does your mind go? Or another question, what does it mean to be human? Daniel chapter 4 has something to say to questions like these. This chapter is a chapter about achievement and about our response to success. It's a chapter about what it means to be human and about God's design for the world. But I think centrally it's a chapter about power. And it's a chapter about who rules. I think we see that in a number of ways in this chapter and I think it's the central thing, it's the big idea that's going on. It's written uh, three times in exactly the same phraseology. Is that right? Uh, We see it in verse 17, verse 25 and verse 32. Look at verse 17. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. Here it is. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Look at verse 25. In the second half of verse 25, seven times will pass by for you, Nebuchadnezzar, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And then again in verse 32, it's exactly the same sentence. At the end of verse 32, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar, this story, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. This happens to Nebuchadnezzar. It's put in this chapter of Daniel so that the living might know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And the way that that's uh, drawn out in the narrative, we see a a number of ways that, uh, uh, that the narrative illustrates that. Um, we see this display of the freedom and power of God. So I'm now going to show why I think, not just from those three verses, but some of the other ways that we can see that this chapter is a display of the freedom and power of God. We see it in the way, uh, that the, uh, in the contrast between the limitations of the magicians and the ability of God's man Daniel in verses 6 and 7. So look down there in verses 6 and 7. So Nebuchadnezzar says, He commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before him to interpret the dream. 
And when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, Nebuchadnezzar tells them a dream, but they could not interpret it for me. In verse 18, if you just glance your eye over there, he says there again, Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. The inability of Nebuchadnezzar and his men to interpret the dream. We see this, uh, the power of God dis, uh, displayed in the contrast um, between God's freedom expressed in Nebuchadnezzar's statement in verse 35. Look there in verse 35, halfway through, it says, He does as he pleases. But in this story we see Nebuchadnezzar, a man who doesn't do as he pleases. He's going to be the stump, chop, the tree chopped down, left as a stump, bound with iron, incapable of doing as he pleases. Not only so, but it's also in this chapter, God is the one doing the decreeing. Look in verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. We see this language in verse 31 as well. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. In the chapters gone by, we've seen Nebuchadnezzar doing the decreeing because that's what kings do. In this chapter, God is doing the decreeing and Nebuchadnezzar is the servant. This is what's decreed for you. We see it in verse 33 with the swiftness of the action. Look at the first word in verse uh, verse 33. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. The freedom and power of God. The whole story illustrates this truth. You've got the most powerful man, probably, I suppose, let's say the known world, brought to naught. Just like that. God says, this is what I'm going to do. Twelve months later, that's what happens. He's brought to his knees. He says, Seven, just the right amount of time is going to pass and then you're going to come back up. And that's exactly what happens. The whole story illustrates the freedom and power of God. Perhaps we see it and it's just really stark in this final statement of Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 34 in this little kind of song of praise that he he has. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the powers of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's not just that Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan and he's got things slightly skewed. What Nebuchadnezzar says in that final statement is it's like a a compilation of, of Old Testament truth. 
Psalm 145 verse 13 has got just the same language. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Psalm 115 verse 3 uses this language. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Job 9.12 uses this language. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? And Isaiah 40.22 uses this language. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Nebuchadnezzar is speaking Bible truth at the end of this chapter. God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, we can press this a little bit further because these are big truths, big truths. But part of the challenge in this chapter is that it's not just general. It's not just that God rules generally like he does in Isaiah over Assyria, where he says, Assyria, you are my, an axe in my hand and I will swing you against the Babylonians and cut them down. He's not just ruling generally like a nation. It's specific It's the man, Nebuchadnezzar, whom he's ruling. He appoints over the kingdom whomever he will. God's rule extends right down to the very man. But it goes further than that. It's not just the man, it's his mind. Nebuchadnezzar is not even in control of his own mind in this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar is not the one who determines whether he has sanity or insanity. This is a kind of truth that should make us stand in awe. There's not a king or a ruler on the planet whom God in his sovereign rule has not set over that kingdom. Donald Trump isn't there ultimately because he was elected by the people of America. Kim Jong-un is not ruling North Korea, ultimately, because he was born in that lineage and that's just how, the, um, that's just how natural processes went. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes We mustn't squash the freedom of God in our attempt to uphold the freedom of man. God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Now, there are a couple of things that God's rule, however, is not. And we can see that in this chapter. The first thing is that it's not deterministic. Which means that it's not just it's not just set in stone and let's just uh, 
throw our hands in the air and say, well, that's just the way that it's going to be. That's not the right way to think about the freedom and power and sovereignty of God. And we can see that in verse 27. Look at verse 27. So in the midst of this chapter, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Look what he says at the end. After he, he says, this is what's going to happen to you. And then he says, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Check this out. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. In Daniel's mind, he doesn't think that God's rule functions in a deterministic way. Repent. But not only so, look at the way that Daniel frames it. It may be. It's not deterministic, but it's still God's call at the end of the day. Not only so, but God's rule in this way that might cause us to be terrified as we think, Who on earth can have that sort of power in their hands and do whatever he wants with any of us whenever he wants? That would be really scary if it were not for the fact that in this chapter we also see the goodness and grace of God. Look at uh, verse 29. Did you notice when it says 12 months later? Nebuchadnezzar's had 12 months to heed Daniel's advice. God is gracious with Nebuchadnezzar. Not only so, but look at verse 37, right at the very end, Nebuchadnezzar's final word. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. When we think of God, the freedom and power of God and his sovereignty and ruling, we must always remember that God's freedom doesn't cancel out his goodness. God's freedom doesn't cancel out his goodness. They they work perfectly in harmony. All of God's freedom and all of his power is always used for good all the time. He always does what is right. All his ways are just. Everything he does is right. One of the ways to misunderstand or misapply, even emotionally, the Bible is to feel and see this one truth about God, his freedom and his power, and then to not believe to the same degree that the Bible teaches us that it's not deterministic and that God always uses it for good. And so we don't believe those two things, and we end up saying that view of God is completely wrong, because it would cash out like this, boom, boom, boom. No, it doesn't cash out like that. It doesn't cash out that if God's completely free, then he's just this um, uh, massive, uh, enormous chess player just potting people around the chessboard, because that's not the picture that we're given. We're given the picture of a God who's gracious, who's kind, who always does what is right, who doesn't just function in ways that are uh, are deterministic, 
If you're going to believe anything the Bible says, believe everything the Bible says and put the whole picture together. The third thing is that the freedom and power of God and how that works with human responsibility here is not a math equation. Look at verse 37. Look at where Nebuchadnezzar goes at the end of this. I mean, he starts in the same way in, verses, in verse 2. He says, it is my, sorry, in verse 2, yeah, he says, it is my pleasure to tell you all about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. And then in verse 37, look where he goes, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven. If we understand this about God rightly, it leads to praise. That's what it's always for in the Bible. Whenever we see God's power displayed, his freedom displayed, uh, his election of uh, sinners uh, displayed, it is for praise. It is for the praise of his glorious grace. That's what happens at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, where, uh, where we see everything, he does everything according to the counsel of his will. And the whole thing starts with, blessed be God. Blessed be God. Praise God that he's in control. And not Trump, or Putin, or you, or me. Praise God that God is in control. And finally, this rule of God is not erratic. We might be wondering, right, why this big story of Nebuchadnezzar? You see, God hasn't just chosen Nebuchadnezzar for no reason. He hasn't just plucked him out of the air and thought, right, here we go, I might as well just use Nebuchadnezzar to display my freedom and my power and show that I actually uh, rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. There's a reason why God has done what he's done and there's a reason why it's written in chapter 4 in the way that it has. And part of the way to... the way, uh, what we need to understand first in order to get that is that God has a design for the world. So in this story, you see, it wasn't, Nebuchadnezzar's problem wasn't that he was just a king and God wanted to show off to other kings. It wasn't that God's anti-government and he just wanted to say, no, no, I don't want government, I am the king. God has given uh, allowances for the king in Deuteronomy, for the nation of Israel. He's currently got a king. And there have been good kings in the past that God has commended. But the thing is, God's design for the world was that rulers would rule with justice and humility. You see, part of the reason the language is put in the way that it is in this story, with animals and humans and even further on in um, sorry, all the language about uh, Nebuchadnezzar becoming like an animal right? He goes like a beast of the field, Uh, he ends up eating grass like the ox, he grows feathers, gets big claws he becomes, he gets the mind of a man, leaves him, he gets the mind of an animal and later on in Daniel chapter 7 we have uh, these, these kingdoms that come and they're beastly kingdoms it's a kingdom like a, uh, a bear and a kingdom like a lion. And, um, 
and then, and then, and then, but then the kingdom is given to one like a son of one like the son of man. This language is, is, is supposed to remind us of God's design in the beginning. It takes us all the way back and God's design was that human beings would be like God in their character and honour God with their praise and live like little mirrors reflecting God, ruling in his, in his creation, having dominion over creation, in a way that honoured him, reflected him and was done with justice and righteousness. And look what we see in verse 27, because this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar isn't doing. Look in verse 27. uh, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, in order to repent, what does he need to do? He needs to renounce his sins by doing what is right, and he needs to uh, be kind to the oppressed. Justice and righteousness is what should mark you, Nebuchadnezzar. And that's not happening at the moment. So your rule is not functioning like it ought to. Right? God is the ruler over all the kingdoms of men. He puts over it whom he will, and you are not doing your job. Not only so, not only is there meant to be uh, a justice, but it's meant to be humility. It's meant to be, uh, your rule is meant to be pointing up to me. Because look at the moment that Nebuchadnezzar gets humbled. It's in verse 30. You see, 12 months later, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace and he says, look what he says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Pride. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. The reason why God has done this with Nebuchadnezzar is because Nebuchadnezzar is not being human, so he's sent to the beasts. Nebuchadnezzar is not being human, and so he gets sent back to the beasts. So God's rule isn't erratic in this story, and that's why we have this picture here. And so what's the design of this story? What's this here for us now as we uh, come into the final section? I think that this story is in the book here uh, to, design, uh, to challenge the idea that by my power and my might and for my glory have I done X or Y or am I in X position? It's designed to humble mankind. It's designed to remind us of our role, our proper role as human beings. To be under God, acting with justice and righteousness. It's a particular challenge to kings and rulers. I think Nebuchadnezzar writes, uh, this whole, this whole chapter is, is, starts with King Nebuchadnezzar. It's he's writing. So I think it's, it's a, it's a word to kings that they would humble themselves. But it's also a word to leaders in churches, to academic achievers, to successful business people, sports people, to parents of godly Christian children, perhaps. Not to say, by my power and my might and for my glory, have I done X or have I got X? 
It's for anyone with a sense of achievement or success who feels that they could be puffed up with pride. And the response is just like Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 34. It's repentance and faith. And in in this chapter, in verse 34, it looks like this. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. Repentance and faith. First thing is, is raising your eyes to heaven and seeing that God is in control. You have received everything as a gift. His sanity is restored. And the second thing is praise. Then I praised, verse 34, the most high. Raise your eyes and praise God. The second thing I think that this chapter does is it comforts people. I think Daniel as a whole, if you split Daniel in half, I think the book basically goes like this. uh, The second half is, tough times are coming. And the first half is, a brief history of the God who rules. And that first half is to equip you as you go through the second half. And so I think this chapter here is designed so that God's the rule of God would be uh, held up so that people who are under bad rule would find comfort knowing that ultimately God is ruling. It's God's design, it's God's plan, the goodness of God, the ability of God. Certain leaders may be dangerous, but ultimately they are not in control. God is. And the same response is for, the, for, for people in that position. To look up and praise God. And finally, I think the design of the story is that it's pointing to another tree. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about him, about himself, and he was a great big tree. He'd filled the earth, and all the birds and the beasts, and everybody would come and find um, life in the tree. But there's another tree. And there's another stump. In Isaiah chapter 11, God had promised before these words, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's the uh, tribe of Judah. And from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Righteousness will be the belt, will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. God's promised that there will be another tree from another stump who will rule with righteousness. Ezekiel 17 also speaks of a similar thing, that God, will, God himself will plant a tree. Jesus also spoke in Matthew of, a, of the mustard seed being the smallest seed but gets planted and one day grows into the largest tree and he's referring to the kingdom of God there. But this other tree, before it becomes the tree of life that fills the whole earth, it's a different tree. It's a tree of death. And so this is Jesus. And 1 Peter says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body 
on the tree. Jesus was coming to become the tree of life that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't. But before he did so, he was hung on the tree of death. To take away our sins so that we could be a part of his kingdom. You see, Jesus is the one that this story ultimately points to. Nebuchadnezzar is not ruling like he should. Nebuchadnezzar is not being human like he should. Jesus is the one who comes and he is the lowliest of men. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and he sets over it whom he will and he puts over it the lowliest of men. And that's exactly what Jesus comes and does, doesn't he? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, we see this story of Jesus coming, obedience, humility, obedience to the death, death on a cross, and then exalted to the highest place, so that every knee in heaven and on earth would bow at the name of Jesus Christ. And so this story in Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar, his failings, about what he's supposed to be like isn't the end of the story for the people who are reading it. And if they knew now that Jesus had come and was that flourishing tree, the tree of life that rules over the kingdom of men like he should perfectly honouring God, perfectly humble, perfectly not in conflict with God, in perfect harmony with God, ruling the kingdom of God forever. And so the response is the same here for us. Look up and praise. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we are so sorry that we have used our power and our achievements uh, for our own glory, that we have said, uh, by my own power and my own might, I have gotten all this wealth, whatever it may be, that we have not honoured and glorified you, that you could easily have brought us to insanity like you did Nebuchadnezzar. But in your grace and your kindness, you've not done that. Instead, you've sent the Lord Jesus to be humbled and disfigured in our place, to be hung on a tree, to be the lowliest of men, and you have exalted him to the highest place to rule over all. We thank you that that rule displays your goodness and your kindness and your grace toward us. That this is the kind of God that you are. And we ask God that you would lift our eyes to Jesus to see him, to see his rule and that we would uh, live in such a way that we honour you with our lives, that we rule, that we uh, act with justice and righteousness and humility. And I pray God that as we seek, try to seek comfort in many things, we wouldn't look to the rulers of this world, but we would ultimately look to Jesus and the kingdom to come. In his name. Amen.